1: Hey, this is Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters, and you're listening to Bluegrass Jam Along, the podcast for anyone and everyone who plays bluegrass.
0: My guest on Bluegrass Jam Along this week is Chris Pandolfi, who you all know and love through the infamous String Dusters. But the reason that I asked Chris on. The podcast today is because he is actually the host of my favorite podcast, which is called Inside the Musician's Brain. Chris, it's great to have you here.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for the invite, Matt. Um, and, and for the and for the for that nice intro, oh my gosh, I really appreciate that.
0: It's such a cool podcast. I think um, something I've been getting more interested in over the past couple of years is just this there's a lot of people out there thinking really deeply about music at the moment, about what it means to be a musician and how to sort of bring yourself as a human being to that. And so many of the things people talk about kind of overlap with just being a human being in the first place. And um I I listened to the most, I think it's the last episode of your most recent season with Brian Sutton. And you chatted at the beginning about what some of this stuff means to you and how you'd like to dig into some of it, maybe in a future episode. And I was just really curious to hear a bit more. And I think, it all sort of stems out. There's a phrase that I think you might've used like right back at the beginning in the the sort of trailer for the first season of the podcast. And the phrase that you used was creative minds are introspective minds. And that feels like a real sort of jumping off point for all of this.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think some creative minds are much more aware of the introspection factor, if that makes sense. And, can potentially like talk about it and unpack it a little bit. And I think maybe also in turn analyze it for themselves and help, you know, it really can help you understand your path to say deepening your relationship with music or deepening your relationship with life. And that's what I think, you know, I hear you getting at is that there are, there are so many analogies between the two. And I know for me, my journey with music has helped me with my life and vice versa. And when I say help me with my life, I I think I just mean to be a more content person to, to get to the things that I'm trying to express most efficiently. Of course, I'm so lucky that I have this amazing forum with with the string dusters and, you know, it's, it's really a a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity. and, And I'm so grateful to have teamed up with those guys and, that gives me so much to work for and work toward. And and then there's life, you know, and we all live life, whether you're a musician or not. And I, I think there are people, um, you know, spiritual thinkers who I have really learned a lot from and, you know, we can dig into uh, all of that and and I'm I should say as a disclaimer you know I'm I'm no expert and for me it's a work in progress like I think it is for everyone and I think this phrase that can seem a little cliche but is so incredibly true is you know the journey is the thing you never really end up in a in somewhere and that's you're good you're done you know it doesn't really work like that you know even though we have these sort of terms floating out there like you know, you, you might have a revelation or you might feel some shade of enlightened. And that just means that you've learned something and you've acquired something new. And, and that can come from your own experience. Those things can be all pushed forward by listening to other people talk about their experiences. But ultimately, we go through and we see these things unfold for ourselves. And I know mm-hmm. the journey of music and the journey of life. Have had so much interesting and also challenging and also uplifting, incredible overlap that that I feel like that's something that I'm that I'm always kind of you know observing, and that's where you know getting back to your original point, you know that's that's the introspective mind, and and what I said earlier, you know I really believe I think musicians are introspective. Again, some of us have an easier time thinking about it and and unpacking it and maybe more of an awareness of it as it's going down, but we're all going through these fascinating and very unique journeys to try and get out what is inside of us. And, you know, there, it's it's not, it's, you know, one day the music seems challenging and maybe the next day life seems challenging and you just kind of chip away at all of it and do the best you can, if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: totally. And that word journey, I mean, that's so, and I think, Really interesting to me is obviously you interview people on your podcast and you interview them as a, as a peer and a, as an equal and you're all you know um you are maybe a similar distance along that journey as they are um, whereas for me and a lot of the listeners we're much earlier in our journeys and it's easy to imagine and people listening to this podcast will be sick of me saying this but it's easy for us to imagine that that you you guys are at some destination where you've arrived and you've checked in and you're just lounging around the pool enjoying yourselves. And to hear every single person I've interviewed has described it as a journey and said, you know, one of the first person people I interviewed was Brian Sutton And he said, yeah, I'm on the same journey as you. I'm just a bit further down the
1: road. And yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. And I think, you know, you do have to lounge by the pool sometimes and that's okay too. You know, you don't have to just, you don't, it doesn't have to seem like this rigorous unending thing. You know, I think, People will glean different concepts and in turn, different lessons that they apply to what they're going, going through. Again, I think central to all of this is, you know, we can listen and learn so much from our peers, whether people are ahead of us or it doesn't really matter. You know, we, we really are all the same and, and we can learn a lot from them, but ultimately we, we have to apply these lessons, these concepts to how life feels for us because we all are having such a different experience, but wow. I mean, there is so much knowledge. I mean, Brian is such a great example and I'd interviewing him and I've loved hanging out with him. And, you know, we've, we've gotten to play some music and you hear a, a guy like that play and you're just blown away. I mean, the, yeah. the technical facility, the, the way he puts all the ideas together. And if, you know, I, he does a great job of explaining, I think how he has arrived at that musical place, but, he also is an incredibly deep thinker. And when you hear him talk about his journey, he's, for example, is someone who is very articulate about what he's experiencing. And lucky us, because he's able to mm. sort of extrapolate a lot of these concepts. And they're useful to everyone at every point in the journey. And I know, you know, and, and one way to sort of illustrate that, and one thing that I've talked about a lot and that I really stand by is this idea of The Beginner's Mind. And there's a great book called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And it's been a favorite of mine. Actually, I'm a big sports fan and I get a lot from sports psychology and performance psychology, which has a lot of overlap with music. And Phil Jackson, the legendary NBA coach, he wrote a great book called Sacred Hoops. And he talks about how he gives a book to each player at the beginning of the season. I mean, he's managing egos and talent like you can't even imagine, you know, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, these guys who won six championships. And one of the books that he gives to his players, is this book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And I was reading Sacred Hoops and I thought, oh my God, I need to check that out. And I did. And it's transcriptions of talks that relate to this concept of, if we can envision ourselves as beginners, if we can embody that feeling, it really opens up a lot of doors. It allows us to be at a steeper place on the learning curve, It allows us to feel the joy that we often feel when we're at the beginning of something, whether it's a journey with music or anything that you love, you know, a relationship or really anything. And when you're a beginner, you have this curiosity that is not burdened by ego or the need to feel like you're doing something well. And these concepts oftentimes get sort of paved over as we make the the way down a path and we're making progress on a journey and progress is great, but we don't want to lose that beginner's mind philosophy because it really, again, makes a lot of things possible. And, and just like a lot of different ways to maybe, um, improve, you know, whatever it is that improve at whatever it is you're working on, you know, this is, this is just one of those things that we need to be mindful of. And sometimes like I keep a note card in my banjo case that has sort of the the three or four things I want to be thinking about at that time. And beginner's mind will be on that list every now and then. And and if I need a sort of refresher on this one of many concepts or tools that helps us to kind of just be present and and be as deeply invested and committed to whatever it is that we're trying to do. And I love that one, The Beginner's Mind. And I think you know the reason I bring it up is because like you mentioned Brian Sutton who I mean, you know, there's no one who's better at guitar than Brian Sutton. I mean, there's other players who are in that same level, but he's just taken it so far and he makes such beautiful music, but he manages to embody the beginner's mind. And that's how he's learned, you know, and applied so many of these concepts and gotten so far down the road because, you know, he doesn't envision himself, this sort of expert who's socked in and you're good at this and you're not good at this. It's just like, Hey, anything is possible, but you have to embody that, that feeling and that flow. And that's always just been one that really resonates with me and one that sort of comes to mind with what you were talking about with, with guys like Brian and being a sort of at different levels. We'll
0: be right back with you just after this. Collings Guitars has been a long-time supporter of the bluegrass community, from collaborating with artists to sponsoring festivals big and small, and now by sponsoring Bluegrass Jamalong. Handmade in Austin, Texas, every Collings guitar and mandolin that leaves the shop is built from the sound-up, and the team loves seeing a Collings in the hands of players of all levels, from local musicians to world-renowned pickers. Visit collingsguitars.com for more. This episode is also brought to you by Peghead Nation, the home of Roots Music Instruction. With 65 streaming video courses for guitar, mandolin, banjo, fiddle, dobro, bass and ukulele from some of the leading names in acoustic music, Peghead Nation has something for every picker. You'll learn the tunes and techniques you need to join in at jams and play the music you love, plus advanced techniques like improvisation, theory and ear training. Your first course is just $20 per month and you can add more for $10 a month. Sign up for any course and get your first month free with the promo code JAMALONG, all one word. Join thousands of other players, including me, who are advancing on their instruments and having more fun playing the roots music they love at pegheadnation.com. Yeah, and it's really interesting because I take lessons from Brian as part of the artist works thing. And, and as you say, he's incredibly eloquent at being able to explain stuff but he's also pretty sort of frank with this. Like we get a monthly me- video message from him and he, there's all the video conversations with students he has, and he'll talk about the struggles he has and the things that he's finding hard and, you know, going on the road with the Baylor Fleck tour at the moment. He, he talks openly about the things that, you know, he's struggling with. And it's, um, Sure. I think it's incredibly just that I, it's sort of a big word to use but that willingness to be vulnerable is, really admirable. It'd be very easy for him to sit there with all the answers and just sort of dish them out one at a time to us. And he doesn't, he has a conversation and sort of encourages us and leads us, but it's it's an incredibly human way to teach.
1: And, and we have to realize that everybody has that. And for you, these things might feel easy in life. And you might look at a guy like Brian Sutton and you say, oh, music's so easy for him. You know, it's not really the case, but, but life is not divided into these different experiences. You know, I think it's one experience. And I think that, again, there's just all this overlap. And if we look at, if we look at a simple, simple premise, like being present, you know, and that, that can really be a, a valuable tool when we're making music it can be a valuable tool when we're sitting around in the morning and starting our day. And, and, and if your mind is too caught up on, you know, reviewing the past or thinking forward to the future and not just, you know, right there with, with what's going on in the moment. Well, you know, I think you really can strip yourself of how, how deep and content that experience can, can be. It can be very, very simple like that, you know, and, and the reality is that we, everybody has different phases of life that come easier and come harder to them. And you, it's one of these things you always need, to keep in mind. And sometimes when we listen to like, again, getting back to this idea that you might listen to somebody think, Oh, like that is sounds so easy for them. But, you know, maybe the technical part of the music is easy, but finding, um, you know, that sort of balanced feeling in your life where you can really express yourself. Like if you're a professional musician, people don't necessarily understand, like it really takes a lot of, of energy, to get up there in front of people and and make your statement you know it's one thing to play music but to perform is this whole other level of experience it's this whole other skill and i find it you know it it really can tell you oftentimes like how dialed in how content you are in the rest of your life and and sometimes it can be a release you know from things that are challenging you but other times it can be a reflection of things that are challenging you. And you really, you know, I know I've, I've had periods like that where, you know, if, if things aren't as settled in my regular life and, and that's really, that's how it is for everyone. And, and even, even the, you know, the people who you most aspire to play, like they go through challenges with music, they go through challenges with their life, they experience the overlap between those two things. And it's, Always just a work in progress, and and you have to remember progress is never linear. You know mm-hmm. you you're and that's a really that's been a really hard one for me, and this is sort of what I was alluding to at the intro with the with a the, uh, with with br- that Brian interview in episode thirty of my podcast is, you know I I've had I've had some yeah some some big challenges recently with music, and I've really t- you know tried to take some deliberate steps kind of back to take more steps forward. And it's a little bit of a leap of faith and the progress is not linear. And then one day you're doing these things and you're playing music and, and and the experience is telling you you're not any good or you're not as good as you were the day before or last year. And hmm. that can freak you out. I mean, for obvious reasons, you know, we put all this time and energy into things and we want to get better at them and we are getting better at them but the perspective of how growth is not necessarily linear can get lost on us. And that's just your ego wanting to, you know, wanting to feel like it's in control. It has you ahead of where you were yesterday. And it's, again, it's the most natural thing ever. And, you know, it's important also to be able to kind of laugh at it and realize what's going on in real time. And it doesn't make you, uh, you know, worse at what you're trying to do than anyone else. And so it's the awareness of all these things in tandem that help us to kind of keep moving things forward, enjoy the experience while we're going and, you know, realize that growth is not linear, but ultimately we're trying to head net forward on our journey. And that's just, that's the goal, you know, that's life.
0: And I think that's really interesting because you're sort of talking about the sort of non-linear sound. And this maybe relates to life as much, maybe if more than music for me, but just that sense of having to relearn a lesson you've already learned. And I can't remember which book I read. There's a book, I I read so many sort of books on development and and I read one book and it said, you know, there's far more value in rereading a book you got a lot out of than buying a new book. Like if something really was a light bulb moment for you. Read it again. And it's, just, you know, it's the same, isn't it? We, we do forget the things we've learned on a regular basis. And, isn't and it incredible? Of, yeah. And it, it really puts me in mind of, so, so that hearing your podcast sort of over the arc of three seasons or whatever it is, but particularly that Brian son episode, the words that come up again and again are journey, but also practice. And I don't just mean practice as in sitting with your instrument running through scales, but, but that thing of like any, any change, whether it's musical or in life, has to be a practice. You have to keep doing it. You can't just read something or uh, understand something intellectually and it's there. You have to then go and do it as you mentioned earlier. You have to then apply it.
1: Absolutely. And what you just said, oh my God, it's so true. It's like, how many times am I, you know, sort of in the midst of something and thinking to myself, "Ah, really, I have to learn this lesson again that I've been through a hundred times. But but this is where the personal experiential part of things comes in. And this is, this is where that thing of, like, when you learn something yourself, you figure out what it means to you. You didn't just read this line in a book and then you assimilated this information. You practiced it. And you you figured out what it meant for you. Well, there is a depth of that experience that allows you to own that concept in a much deeper way than, like I say, just like reading a line in the book and like, oh, well, oh, hey, that resonates with me. Well, now you need to go practice it. Now you need to go learn how to apply it to what you do, you know, and, and you have to work on it. A, A great example related to music is like people always ask, oh, well, how can I, I want, you know, I need to play faster, you know, and it's like, well, to play faster, you know, it's really important to be relaxed. And they, and they say, okay, well, how do I do that? It's like, you know, this concept, you know, you need to be relaxed, but you need to practice it and sure. and you need to devote really mindful time to, and this is something I've talked a lot about with Ron Block, who was a mentor to me, who was one of the guys who I had an early sort of aha moment, like you're talking about with Sutton, where, you know, Ron was talking about working about these, on these incredibly rudimentary things. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, if, if Ron Block needs to work on this, I'm certainly not above this. And I, I would feel that at times, but working on really simple things and feing, feeling like, man, do, do the guys I look up to really have to do this? Well, guess what they do? And they have, and they will more if they want to continue that journey. And, and you know, whether you like it or not, sort of one of the most annoying things in with music and talent is the most talented players, men, women, are also the ones who work the hardest. You know, and that's probably because they work the smartest and they're getting a lot out of this work and the journey is unfolding. And it's like, man, I just get chills even like talking about it. Like that's, that's what life is all about, you know? And, and this idea of practicing being relaxed, you know, it's like people, they hear the concept, but they don't necessarily understand the practice part, the part of making, making it your own, the thing of putting the metronome at like 80 beats per minute and practicing like. Two fingers at a time, and paying attention to every time you play a thumb attack, how much tension are you injecting into your index finger? And then slowing the metronome down even from there to a tempo where you can feel what you are doing and you can change the neurological pathway between your brain and your hand. Because if you just rely on muscle memory, which we ultimately do when we go to play, you know, then. You're going to revert to what you've done the most. Well, now here we are practicing a new thing and trying to assimilate this new skill. It's not enough that we've just heard that you need to be relaxed. We are going to that super slow tempo and retraining what our brain conceives is possible with our hand and what relaxation could be in there. Will we revert back in a live playing situation? Absolutely. Will we feel like we failed? Absolutely go through it over and over. And here's that thing of learning that lesson over and over. But this is where you are making it your own and you are building something that no one can take away from you. And it's just that I'm such a huge believer in, you know, adversity is what teaches you the lessons and adversity is what puts you through the ringer. And when someone else has given up, but you're not going to give up because you're going to keep going. Well, that's when you build that thing that no one can take away from you. And that's, you know, that's the, that's the confidence that's, that's us realizing who we are. And it's, it's such a big kind of gangly topic, but, uh, you know, like you, I'm so fascinated with learning and, and I've been on a big learning journey myself. And so I'm, I'm getting a lot of practice. I'm getting a lot of times of, you know, of having these lessons just be like, Nope, not there yet. You're going to need to do this again. And that's all part of it. And you have to, you just have to embrace it. And
0: that, that sort of thing about, um, about tension and again, life as well as music, but learning to relax at moments when you, your tendency is to tense up. Um, and so many people I've heard talk about this idea of sort of noticing tension to start with, but but then working to, I think Chris Eldridge said a really interesting thing. And he said, yeah, if you want to get faster, you can put your metronome 2 BPM faster every day and you'll get a bit quicker. That's great. He said, or you could put it 30 BPM faster than you stand any chance of playing a tune and accept you're going to play it really, really, really badly. But just feel what it feels like to play relaxed at that speed. All the notes are wrong. The tone's wrong. It's awful. You're never going to play it in front of other people like that. But just sit for a minute and feel how your picking hand feels at 130 BPM if you're not worried about the notes. And that was a bit of a light bulb moment for me because that, and then he sort of says, take it right back and slow it down and get the detail right. But just to sit there with my arm going at a speed that my left hand can't keep up with and going, well, if the notes don't matter, maybe I can relax. And just feel for maybe 10 seconds what it feels like to be relaxed at that tempo. And then um, it just sort of a little light went on. I went, oh, like, it is possible for my body to be relaxed at that tempo. Now I need to go back and learn to actually play at that tempo, but it's mm-hmm. just... You know that little confidence of going, okay, it's
1: possible. Well, and that, that that process of observing yourself—that's a—that's a powerful thing. You know, that's not something that that's not something they teach you when you're a kid. You know, it's just something. It's sort of a survival skill that our you know the 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 matrix that we've built and the the societal experiment sort of requires. I think ultimately, if you're gonna if you're gonna do something and you're, or you're gonna get good at something and 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 again, that could be life skills or music or any skills, you're going to have to be real with yourself about where you're at. And that can be you know a challenging process. And tension will tell you a lot because tension is basically self-doubt lingering in your unconscious. And we all have it. And it's not a thing that you're ever going to rid yourself of completely. In fact, you're going to take on new elements of self-doubt as you grow older, and and it's it's not something to be afraid of. It's a very natural, it's a very natural thing. It, it it if you know there's a very easy explanation for it, and you know we're these ultimately we're just trying to survive, you know, and and we're these creatures, and there are there are things that will wash over us in ways that we will feel. Now, I will say one real meaningful sort of hack that I have really gotten into in these last few years is is my breath, is be using breathing. And, you know, Brian, I should have asked him. I sort of regretted not digging in a little deeper and asking him to give us some more specifics, although I have a feeling that he would have said something like this. Breathing And I got really into breath work and I read the James Nestor book, breathe and watched a bunch of talks online and did a whole podcast intro about it. I think it was in in season three. And it's just a known thing that if we breathe deeply and through our nose, and that's basically all you need to know, you know, there's all different sort of counts you can do, you know, in for four, hold for five out for seven. I just think of it as breathe deeply in, hold it, and then expel, you know, all the air that's in your lugs. If you do this, you are changing your physiology and you're bringing your heart rate down. You're, you're basically giving your body the sort of biofeedback that it would get in a relaxed state. So you're almost like tricking it into being relaxed is one way that you could think about it. Navy SEALs use this. Free divers use this. Anyone who, and I think... You know, again, back to sports, and I, I I love the sports analogies because I'm a big sports fan and I just am fascinated by excellence in those realms. It's like so incredible. And professional golfers is a great example. You know, you're you're on the eighteenth hole, you got a shot coming up that's gonna cost you, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars if you miss it. You know, you've worked your whole life for this. The pressure, I mean, think about that pressure, and it's the singular pursuit. Well, watch these guys breathe and watch them going in through the nose, out the mouth holding their breath and controlling their physiology and so like the stuff that critter said and i I, you know he's critter is incredible one of my favorite guitar players a close friend and you know we've definitely talked about this stuff and there are things like that that you can do that help you with the with the process of examining what's going on inside yourself because that's gonna be the first step to actually making changes to to what's going on or applying new feelings like that tension free at a very fast tempo. But the breath work, you know, starting about 30, 45 minutes before we go on, or even before a rehearsal, or if I'm not in the zone and I'm, I'm, I'm about to play, you know, in with other people, you know, whatever it is, I just start doing these breaths. And I, you know, this is like my meditation practice and I'm not someone who sits down and devotes 10 minutes to it every day. I don't do that. I do it throughout the day. Like, for example, I was on a run this morning and I love running because it's a chance for me to really clear my mind. And if I notice that I'm thinking about things that are bothering me, whatever, I just start to breathe. And I just do big breath in through my nose, out through my mouth. And then you're it brings you up to the present moment and you sort of are feeling like the vitality of your body. And then all of a sudden you're you're just You're there, even if it's for a split second, unburdened by what's going on, because that breathing is just affecting what's going on in your body. So there's a lot, there's a lot to that. And, and that, that's definitely one tool that I think we all can use again in music, in life. I I do it if I'm heading into an important meeting and I want to be focused. If I'm heading into a hang with some friends who I haven't seen in a long time and I really care about, I just want to be present for that, you know, and really feel that and, and enjoy that and not be tied to thinking about the the past or the future. It is an amazing tool. And I, I just sort of will do it sporadically throughout the day when I'm behind the wheel of the car, when I, when I think about it for 10 seconds, for two minutes, it it doesn't matter, you know, and, and if we, for me, I love creating sort of in, in a like that habitual way, instead of being like, okay, every day at you know one o'clock I do this X Y Z. I like to try and sprinkle these things throughout the day, so I can just use them whenever. Use them for a split second or for a few minutes. It doesn't matter. I just have access to what that can do for me. It's not a foolproof thing, but it's just, you know, it's connecting me to a a, a place that that I know. The more practice I get with it, the more experience I get with it, and I and I. I just, I know what it's doing to me. I know sort of what to expect. And it's been a huge help that way.
0: And it's, it's really interesting sort of talking about um, being sort of present in a moment, cause it's it's something that's talked about a lot these days. And, but just that, um, just that range of examples you gave, it could be doing a gig, it could be seeing your friends, it could be anything. Like and For me, just things on a daily basis like I don't know, yep. taking the dog for a walk around the park and not being on my phone and not thinking about anything else, just enjoying the sunshine and taking the dog for a walk around the park. Or well, spending 10 minutes just mucking about with my son and not be thinking about other things. And I think that's one of the, the hardest challenges in a busy life is to be present. But to be to be musical, and I, I don't mean just to sit and move your fingers around on a bit of wood, but to actually be musical and bring something of yourself to that, you have to be present. And I think that's one of the joys of, particularly uh, music like bluegrass that has a lot of improvisation to it is you can't really be doing it. If you're thinking about other stuff, you know, you have to just switch everything else off and and be there.
1: You do. And if you want to be good at doing that, you have to practice it. And when I think of practicing music, I think of several phases. And again, this is sort of getting to some of that stuff that I was, was mentioning in, in, in the beginning of the Brian episode, which basically is alluding to, I made a humongous technical change with my banjo playing about a year within the last like year and a half and went from anchoring one finger on the head to anchoring two fingers on the head because I felt like with one finger anchored, I was hitting the ceiling and I wasn't willing to accept that that was sort of as far as I could go technically or at least that I really felt the ceiling there. So I knew if I had like, you know, use brute force, I could sort of inch it up, or maybe there was this other way. And it was a lot of sort of trial and error and intuition. And it's been a long road, but I can tell that it will yield huge benefits in the long run. But it put me in a zone where after having played for, you know, 20 years, all of a sudden I was practicing like incredibly simple rudimentary things. And it was humbling. And I had a lot of times on stage and I still have been having times on stage where I don't feel, you know, technically as unlimited as I want to. Well, I still can play music. And ironically, what it gives you an incredible practice in is even in the face of feeling like technically challenged, will try to be present in that. Well, that's like extra challenging because how can you be not aware of this thing that you sort of perceive as a hindrance or as keeping you from being maybe better than you were at like a previous point in time. But you have that staring you in the face, and then you still ultimately need to be present. I mean, as a sort of extreme example, you know, if you had one arm tape behind your back, but you had to be present, well, it's like, think about the challenge that that would pose. So, I've been getting sort of a lot of practice in both of these of these phases. And when I'm actually more specifically practicing music, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll devote like a chunk of time to like more technical things. And that's, again, metronome slow, paying attention to exactly where that tension is, stopping at the first sign of tension, shake it out, try and do like just middle finger attacks with no tension. Okay, I start to get that going. Then I'm going to add in some of the other fingers, right? And then I'm, that's like, I'm reprogramming. I consider that almost like reprogramming on like a root level of like how my brain, what happens with my body when I'm standing there with the banjo on and I'm like, okay, it's time to play on my way back to the old home, fingers go. You know, it's like, well, what is your brain? How does that process go? What is your brain telling them? Well, I'm changing some of those like root level messages and that is. You know, it's funny because, like, when I tell students about that, I always sort of give them this disclaimer, like, this may seem really boring to you. But, you know, my life, I've devoted my life to seeing how far I can take the banjo. And, you know, I've got these amazing opportunities. And I really, you know, a lot of this is, like, I really want to be the best I can be for my bandmates who really inspire me and push me, you know. So, like... You still got to have fun with the instrument, but I am sort of a glutton for punishment and I love doing this stuff. And I love learning about, you know, um, how our brain works and how they think neuroplasticity is last so much deeper into life. And then and then just trying these processes for myself. Right. So there's this technical practice. Well, and then and then, of course, there's like repertoire and and learning new songs and things like that. They're going to be a little bit more like functional. But then there's what I call phase two of practice. And in phase two of practice, you are practicing, entering, and remaining in the zone that you want to be in for a show. And if you do this well, it's essentially like a long meditation. You're just, you know, if you do it well, some days you don't do well. That's the whole reason that we're practicing it, right? And some shows it doesn't go that well. But the only way that you're going to get better, the only way that you're going to learn how this process unfolds for you is by practicing it. So I just will either play along with albums or play music, like make music, not like stop and start all the time. I'll pick, I have a list of tunes that sits on my desk in my studio and and I will just play. And what I'm working on in that time is not licks. It's not what, how to incorporate this new idea. It's not how to play this new tune. It's being as present and as focused on on what I'm doing as I possibly can be. And the more hours that I log in that zone, the easier it will be to call up in a live playing situation. And it's all about the presence factor. And so, you know, you, you kind of got these different things going, but ultimately when it's time to play music, it's like time to shut it all off and just make a statement. And how have you set yourself up for success? And, And, you know, that's the thing of practicing is practicing can be something that you do really well and it can be something that reinforces bad habits, too. And that's something another thing that you need to figure out for yourself. But if you practice well and and you are paying attention to what's going on with your brain and your body and you're like deliberate about attacking the things that are hard for you and then spending time in that meditative present zone, you're setting yourself up for success. So I, I preach that to people who take lessons with me. You know, it's like practice smarter, not necessarily harder, and you will get a lot further down the road. I think a lot quicker. Truly, yeah. I I interviewed
0: a guy called Josh Turkett who wrote a book called yeah. The Laws of Brain Joe, and he's fascinating. Um, and he was he basically is. saying, look, if you if you practice 25 minutes a day, but you practice smart, he said, essentially, it's like going to the gym. You don't get fitter at the gym. You get fitter as your body processes what you did at the gym. And your brain builds these pathways after you practice. But you tell it what pathways to build when you practice. And um, he said exactly. something unparaphrasing, um, but he said, essentially, most of us get so obsessed with the fact that we have limits that we get nowhere near to finding out what they actually are. Because we're also obsessed with, you know, this idea that we are we're never gonna get that good. We never find out how good we can get because we let it stop us. And if you just sit down and practice smart every day, even for 25 minutes, you will get
1: better. You definitely will. And I love I just read that book actually after Brian mentioned it on my podcast because he had Josh Turkneck come speak at his Blue Ridge. Guitar Academy, and I'm I'm so excited to connect with him at some point because I'm such a nerd, and I am really fascinated by these things. And, you know, he his whole theory of, like, talent is sort of the talent myth, you know, that we can all work really hard on something. It really kind of opens up a whole other can of worms, which is what is talent? Maybe talent sure. – talent is this thing that we sort of perceive, perceive as this kind of, like, mysterious thing that, oh, this person's got talent. You know, they were – Born with that? What did their parents do? But maybe talent is just, you know, a, a quality that doesn't ever let you give up. You know, maybe talent, part of talent that we don't reward or we don't necessarily talk about is more like persistence. And because again, remember, first of all, like I said earlier, you know, Chris Thiele, Bay LaFleck, not only these guys have the most to say and ideas I think that are in there, but they also work the hardest, you know, and why do they work the hardest? Well, I think because their work pays off and they feel the gratification of good, solid practice and work in the process. Right. But they also, there is something inside of us. And I, I do, I do agree. And, um, you know, one thing I tell myself along the journey that for me really helps is, Because I've been way down on myself. And so I guarantee you has anyone who you see progress at anything. They've gone through periods of adversity and you hear it so much. I mean, it is, it's part of everyone. Find me someone who just had an easy path to getting great at something. Like it doesn't exist, you know? Um, But one thing that I sort of tell myself along the way that can be, Call it comforting or whatever. Is like I'm not going to give up. I, 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 no matter what happens, you know. And and I practiced banjo for like two and a half, three hours solid this morning. And I'm working on some recording stuff. And I'm and I'm getting this new technique. And it's unbelievably intoxicating. Like I feel like I'm every day is a new like see where the ceiling is, you know. And if I'm really warmed up and I've played a lot, wow, I can see like even though the muscle memory is not there and it takes me still like longer to get warmed up for a show longer to get in the zone. And there still are roles that feel tight. And I've got to do some more of that kind of like root reprogramming around, but I know it works. And I know that I, I know that there's nothing limiting me, holding me back, you know, like there's no reason that someone else's hands can move faster than mine. And through all of this really, really hard work, I've sort of, Busting that myth, like the imposter syndrome, where I'm not as good as someone else or going to see a show. And, and I'm just not going to give up. And I can tell myself that along the way. And that really helps me on a day that's hard and where I'm feeling like that progress is not linear. It's like, it's okay. Like I know, and I'll keep a you know, I keep a journal too. And I'm more sporadic about it now, but essentially it's just to help me remember when things went well because when things didn't go well oftentimes those are the memories that really store and those are the things that we call up first and if you're not mindful about it you know you got to kind of be be careful of what your memory is telling you you know and that ties into another really important part of this which is you you have to cultivate the joy in music Me, practicing music cannot be this like eternally stressful experience and i know because i have been really guilty of this and i know that through phases of my professional career, I've just become much too aware of what do people think about how I sound? And, and, and you know what? I did that. And you know what? So does everyone at some point, it's the awareness and how you react to it that will ultimately shape how these feelings, you know, inform your journey and where you end up. You're not locked into anything. We are incredibly malleable in our impressions of ourselves and our impressions of how good we can be at something and what failure feels like if we allow ourselves to be. And making sure that these journeys are not just these like rigorous, you know, stress filled, oh, I've got shows next week. Like, I really try to make sure that part of my practice each day, even though I'm going through a big sort of like, call it a, like a technical rebuild, I still make sure that I am practicing joyfully and playing music and playing along with a a playlist on Spotify of music that I love and maybe learning a new tune and, and, and just like everything else, that's part of what you've got to cultivate. It's not just going to come automatically, but you know, I mean, if we just stress ourselves out about all this crap, like we're not doing ourselves any good with that. So, you know, there's, there's one of those lessons. I feel like I had to learn 10 zillion times before I actually, got into a productive zone, didn't necessarily feel like I was having success every day, but I trusted myself and I knew where I was heading and I had fun with it along the way. So it's not just this rigorous, you know, like a practice. And for a while I hated the word practice. Now I've sort of like, I've come around to it because I felt like I wanted to say, not like I practiced today. I wanted to say I played today because what's Mm. the difference? Well, I've really come in these last few years to understand there is a difference and that's okay. You know, it's just a word, whatever it's semantic means, something different to everyone else. But to me, practicing is that conscious working on how our brain connects with our hand and how the experience feels. And then playing is more of the cultivating the end game zone that we want to be in when we play. And that's just sort of how I've kind of come to look at those two things, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it totally does. One of the things that stuck with me most when I interviewed Brian Sutton, and he was one of the very first interviews I did. But at the end of the episode, he said, um, one of my goals for myself, when I step on stage is to try and notice joy and, Amen. and it's, that, I love that. Uh, I just read a book called 4,000 weeks, which has nothing to do with music, but it's, it's about life and it makes an incredibly strong point that we tend to defer our happiness to unspecified times in the future that we don't know if they're ever going to arrive or not. And then I guess the musical equivalent of that is going, I will be happy when I can play Cherokee shuffle at 130 BPM, or I will be happy when I win the IBMA award, or I will be happy when whatever. And to the point you were just making then, you have to find those bits of joy every day because you can't guarantee they're coming at some point down the road. You have to find them now because they may come down the road, but if you can build them into your daily experience, you're there.
1: And and it's it's nothing more than mindfulness and practice. It's nothing more than awareness and repetitions. You know, that's another way to think of practice. It's it's just like the like you said, like the going to the gym analogy. You know, it's just like repetitions. You go to you go to the gym and you do the same stuff every day, but it's a different thing than it was the day before because you're in a different starting place and your understanding of the journey is different. It's just like repetitions, repetitions. Well. We forget to apply that principle to things that I think joy is a great example, things that maybe we take for granted because they are so accessible to us, again, when we are at that beginning stage of things. And when you've just taken up an instrument, you're nowhere near crafting a concept of yourself as a professional musician. You're nowhere near all that awareness that comes around you know, I need to sound good tonight, or um, you know, I'm playing on the Grand Ole Opry, or Bela Fleck is sitting in the front row. You know, it could be like one of a million things. Like you're not near any of that. Joy is what the experience is. We don't know. That's all it is. You know, it's discovery. It's joy. It's this thing that I'm figuring out for myself. I mean, that is just the best. That's that's life. That's like what life is all about. You know. But then, if we take that. And we go 20 years down the road, 40 years down the road, whatever, like the experience changes. So we need to become more mindful about noticing, practicing, again, getting repetitions in the noticing of joy and the allowing of joy, the allowing of ourselves to be just grateful, the allowing of, of you know, allow yourself to just stop judging for a moment and realize, you know, I had a great one of these, this past weekend, we um, Andy Hall from the String Dusters and I do this thing called Bluegrass Generals, and we we bring together great pickers from, you know, all the bands in our world. And we did one at a little festival in Southern Colorado, and Ronnie McCurry was on mandolin, and Alan Bartram from the Traveling McCurries was on bass, and then Bill Nershey from String Cheese incident on guitar. And you know we're halfway through this gig, and I just had one of those great moments and I you know I was sort of like proud of myself in the moment because it just I it just came up you know, and I'm thinking to myself, man, you know and this is this is sort of how the dialogue will go in my head specifically, you know if like eighteen year old me could see this going on, you know and because I freaking worshipped the Del McCurry band and String cheese incident, you know and but I've worked really really hard to put myself in that position. And then you're in that nice zone where you're allowing yourself to like realize how cool this is. doesn't matter, you know, like how good you did at it. It's just like, you're here in this moment with these people, you know? And, and, and when that starts to happen sort of unconsciously, I mean, you, you need to cultivate it. You need to observe it. And, and it, it's this thing that is incredibly accessible when we start something. But as we get much deeper into the journey it can be a little bit more elusive unless you are mindful and then it can be like even more abundant because you've devoted your life to this thing. How beautiful is that? You know, you've devoted your life to really seeing how, how deep you can, you know, how deep your relationship with an instrument can go and then transmitting all this joy to the people in the audience. Like that's a very special thing, you know, and if you can be aware of that and see that all the work that you've done No, it hasn't landed you in this place where joy is less abundant because, you know, you you have to grapple with all the sort of responsibilities and the ego factor. And uh, no, you you've you've set yourself up for this beautiful opportunity that people would kill for, you know, and and it's our job as I think conscientious humans to try and if you don't cultivate that joy, well, guess what? You're it's not going to help you do your job any better. And what are you transmitting to those people? Because let me tell you, they can't tell whether your role is like perfectly in time. They can't tell whether you nailed that lick that you practiced so hard last week. But can they tell whether you're present with them in that moment? Can they tell whether you're grateful, whether you're joyous? That's the stuff that they can tune into. So again, just one more piece of the puzzle that we really need to cultivate, be mindful of, and practice as we go along and just get repetitions in the art of noticing joy. And then just like everything else, it will, it will become muscle memory. It will become more kind of automatic.
0: It's really interesting. Just sort of like thinking about that, as you said it and realizing that actually this podcast, that is what that is for me. Like once a week, once every couple of weeks, I get to turn my phone off, sit in a room and talk to somebody interesting about something I'm interested in. And like, so many people say yes to an interview and I get to sit and have a conversation like this for an hour, which is such a joy and such a lucky position to be in. And if I I spend all my time thinking about how I'm going to monetize the podcast or how I should market it or grow downloads, like it's just, uh, there's no joy in that. But if I just send emails to people saying, I'd really like to talk to you for an hour, can I? And they say, yes. And I do that. All the rest of it sort of comes out of that. Anyway, if I find a conversation interesting and engage with somebody and ask the questions, I've, then people listening are going to find it interesting. And I can, you know, I'm lucky enough that I have a day job that funds this, so I don't have to worry too much about making money. And I could just do it. And it's, you know, all the good stuff just comes.
1: Absolutely. My favorite part of being a podcast host, and I have just loved Inside the Musician's Brain. It's been such an awesome journey. And, I mean, don't tell... My guests don't tell anyone, but I just look at it like, "Are you kidding?" I get to just sit here and ask, you know, Brian Sutton, Bayla Fleck, you know, Madison Cunningham. I just get to ask these people, like, in a very focused, pointed way, you know, what what are their what are the challenges for them? What are the? I mean, that's like the most valuable, incredible information you could ever happen upon as a human, as an artist, as anything. And there's so many lessons that you can extrapolate out. And again, there's so many themes that sort of are, are keep recurring, but you're hearing them through the eyes of these different people. So you're you're not just hearing the same thing over and over. You're hearing like there's this very consistent thematic thing, but then they're talking about how it's applied to their experience with music, to their experience with life, to their experience as a human being. And that is just the incredible beautiful part about it and I, I really echo what you said a moment ago you know I've I've learned I remember when I started doing interviews you know I get kind of like nervous and 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 I I, I just wanted to be good you know I, I wanted to get a lot out of this and and I do a lot of preparation and I'd have things prepared and then ultimately I realized you know the best way for me to prepare you know if it's someone who I'm not as familiar with I of course will you know do my homework and and make sure I know what's what. But the best thing that I can do is listen to a lot of their music, which really I feel like deepens my connection with who they are as an artist and helps me to speak intelligently about what I perceive in in their craft and ask them meaningful questions. That's part of it. But even more important than that is just when it's time to hit record, I am as focused and just pre- like if you can be as present as you possibly can and just listen to every word, and that is such an awesome exercise. We we are so lucky to to have that be the thing that we're trying to be good at because you know part of I think the the human experience and part of what I really get out of like some of the the the, the spiritual um you know talks that i listen to and and i love you know Ram Dass and i've listened to a good bit of like Ajay Shanti and um you know a couple of the guys in my band Andy Hall and Travis and i have definitely spoken about about these things a good bit and it's it's this idea of of presence and in addition to that i love this concept so much if we can focus on something other than ourselves we're just going to be happier. If you can take that, that just self sort of analyzing thing that runs in the background by nature, like you can't feel Mm -hmm. bad about it. It's part of who we are and and, and what we are. But if we can very intentionally take the focus off of ourselves and just think and be deeply invested in, in what someone else is saying, someone else's experience, how someone else feels the world, Wow, that that is a gift. And and that's something that I feel like I've gotten better at and just become like more aware of through my time as a podcast host because that's what the experience has evolved into for me as that is this beautiful, you know, hour, hour and a half of just getting focused on someone else's experience and it's just like oh it's so kind of refreshing you know i mean does that resonate with you do you you know i mean it sounds like you know what i'm talking about totally and it did all sorts of
0: different scenarios i did a thing last year through work where i was part of a charity project called the growth project and they pair up people from businesses and people who work in charities with the idea that the charities benefit from some sort of process and structure and experience from businesses but the businesses really benefit from Um, talking to people who are very connected to the purpose of what they do. And just some of the conversations with people, just hearing how people approach stuff in there, whether they are charities or businesses, but just hearing how people approach stuff and how actually who they are as humans affects that. It's just endlessly fascinating. Um, Yeah. It just made me think of a thing you were sort of talking before about not focusing on ourselves. It reminded me, a friend of mine, um, Said recently, said his favorite people to hang around with are people who have something in their life they take incredibly seriously, but they don't take themselves at all seriously. And that's that's oh,
1: that's that's it, that's it. And 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 again, you know, you you have to kind of kind of be gentle on yourself because it's a hard thing to do. But if if that's what you again are getting practice in or getting reps in, and that's kind of that's kind of how I I try to describe sort of like where I'm at with music is really. Working hard. I mean, I'm, I'm having the deepest practice sessions, and they're sometimes really frustrating. And then just playing some music and enjoying it and realizing, like, you know, and Critter, Chris Eldridge told a great story about Live From Here on my podcast where it was Jim Hall's birthday, and they're, or, yeah, they were going to do some tribute, some, some crazy intricate jazz guitar thing. He worked on it all night. They get to the broadcast. He gets halfway through, and he just stops. <laughs> and I mean, you know, now it's taped so he can go back and play it again. But I mean, it's not, you're not supposed to go back and play it again. And you're also, you know, you're supposed to be able to play it. Like you're, you're here in Thiele's crew and whatever. And and he just talks about how he woke up the next day and realized eh, life, life goes on. Nothing has really changed because of that. You know, we've worked so hard to get to where we are. We've got to trust and rely on on what we're doing so even though the self judgment meter can run out of control on a given day or in a given situation just resting on on this idea that you know we've taken it really seriously and we've worked hard on this and we can just you can you can count on that you know but then taking the pressure off things and i agree i love hanging out with people who i'm just really fascinated by people who have devoted their lives to something, you know, anything. And, and I love learning from people and I love listening to people who are passionate about things, talk, and just comparing notes on all this. I mean, that, that's, you know, that again, I love people and I'm just fascinated by all these varying experiences, all the overlap. There's so much to learn from all of these other experiences. And, and, and that's just been, Like I say, one of the really cool things about doing the podcast host game is, you know, of course, I want to share some of my experiences too, but I, I do an intro to every episode and that's a a, a piece that I really love and, and, you know, think about a lot. And I'm, I'm always thinking about what I want to talk about in those intros. And I just keep these sort of worksheets, you know, like on Google docs and I'll go in there and I'll add an idea and I'll be driving one day and I'll be just. I'll be just driving and I'll just be breathing through my nose and and doing my breath thing. And it's just like kind of and and it's amazing what great ideas. Hey, there's something I want to share with the world, you know, Or, or hey, there's something that I am really interested in. But I'm certainly no expert on. But, you know, I know that at least investigating it has really opened up a lot of interesting sort of concepts or dialogues within myself. This is something I want to share with people, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and I love the feedback that I, that I've gotten from that. And, and wow, what an awesome gift to have, you know, when I'm in season with my podcast every other week, I get 10 minutes to just talk to people and share some things that maybe help, or maybe they just skip right to the interview. I don't care. You know, it's like, that's my, that's my thing. And that's an outlet that I, love and it's something that that differentiates me, you know, from my peers because bluegrass obviously is this incredibly virtuosic music world and people are so incredible and I love all of that but you know I'm also just honestly kind of a nerd and I love to you know read sci-fi books and I love to chat with people about uh you know neuroplasticity or whatever nerd out about these things I'm no expert but I'm fascinated. And to me, that's just like such a big part of life. And so that's kind of, you know, again, the podcast intros is is where I get to kind of just kind of get into some of that stuff and throw it out there. And, and, and it's cool. You know, I think um, I have had a lot of experience. I have a lot of experience left to go, but I've been really lucky to do some awesome things. And I feel like sharing a lot of that with the world, that's just been a really, really cool part of it.
0: It's interesting sort of hearing you talk about sort of taking notes for future episodes. I mean, if I interview somebody and they talk about you, I, or listen to some, listen to your podcast, you know, Chris Eldridge might mention Julian Lage or Jerry Douglas or somebody. I may never interview either of those people, but I've got sheets of notes that of things that have occurred to me about their music at some point. And if I ever do get the chance, I've got a bunch of things I want to ask them. And it's just that thing of constantly having that dialogue in your head and thinking about things and making connections. And it's like, it's a bit like a little world you you can carry around in your head at all times and just sort of dip into and think about. And I find it fascinating. It's, it's interesting, but it reminded yeah. me you talk,
1: it, no, go go ahead. Oh, I mean, I, that that's, I couldn't stop that even if I wanted to, you know, even if I had a podcast or not, that dialogue would be going and you know, I, my brain would just like, it needs it. It's funny. Cause I, I think of, you know, sort of like, like I say, like a lot of, with what I've been experienced, you know, what I have experienced and have been experiencing with music in, in recent years is like, sometimes I ask myself like, Whoa, is this just like a really big like self-imposed challenge? Because you felt like you were like bored and didn't have enough challenging. Like, are you go are you crazy? You know? And, Of course it's not. And, and I, I, I'm actually very deliberate about why I've, you know, done some of these things. And I think I will always take that approach to life and, and I don't mind a challenge, you know, and, and I've, and I, and I think again, the challenge and the getting knocked down, like if you really go into the face of that, well, then you're getting this like dual lesson in how you react to adversity, you know, but being observant because that's really what what you're talking about is is this ability to tune into other people's experiences to 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 external input because we all have a whole world contained in our head you know like' uh, I, I have an experience sometimes uh, and and it's sort of a recurring thing where I'll like pull up to a stoplight and I'll look over in the car next to me and it's just some stranger you know a person I've never seen before and I just have this moment of like you know, and maybe I've been driving, thinking about something that I'm, you know, working on or a dynamic in my life or just like any of the normal stuff that we think about. And it's like this rich, it's it's so deep, you know, it's it's my life and it's like, it's just I'm living it in that moment and it's, it's just, it's life at that moment. And I pull up next to someone and I look over and there's this other person and they've got this whole universe unfolding in their head. And then you realize there's 10 cars behind you and each of those cars has, and it's like, Oh my goodness. Wow. Like that is a lot, a lot of energy. And, and on the flip side of that, you know, we're all just these little points of consciousness, you know, sort of wandering around, like doing our best, you know, I, what, who's going to remember you or me, you know, well, some people, but ultimately like, it it doesn't really matter what what we do in the end. Like we can you can do anything with your life, and we all have different goals, but we have so much going on within. Like so much, if we let it go, the monologue was, could just take up a hundred percent of your bandwidth. Hmm. But if you if you do a good job, and, and again, one of the things I've just loved about being a podcast host of of, of building that muscle of tuning into what else is out there whether it's other people's experiences or nature or or what what you what you perceive you know uh, on a given day when you go out into the world these different energies and the dynamics of life and all these wow there is so much there not only the input that you can take on but just the simple exercise of getting out of your immediate head and voice and and that's kind of what you know what you're talking about and i think so you know that observation is like such an important step and we're lucky to be able to do that because you know some people are born into such adverse circumstances in their life that survival takes up a huge piece of the pie and mm. i try to always be as grateful as i can that i'm in a position though my life has challenges like everyone's does you know for the most part i i i get to sit above some of that really challenging stuff and i'm lucky you know and i I get to be a musician i get to travel and play music so that's a pretty a pretty uh gifted scenario and that's sort of my way of not taking it for granted is like i really want to pay attention to what's out there and try and help other people out and 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 you know listen and observe and do as much sort of good to that end as i possibly can and being observant is like the first step that opens the door to all of that, I think.
0: Yeah. And there's, there's, something fascinating in amongst all of that. It made me think of just so many of the conversations I've had with the musicians about, um, about being true to you. So I had a conversation with Critter about them covering the Church Street Blues album and other people's perceptions of stuff. And, and essentially that your job as a musician is to be you. It's not to be anybody else. It's just to be you. And it's sort of, makes me mindful of, I think for me, a big turning point in everything was becoming a dad. My son's about to turn 10. And before he was born, um, I sat down and my wife sort of chatting about how we wanted to bring him up. And we said, well, we just want a kid that's confident to be himself, but doesn't like to. And it it sort of, it, it comes forward into essentially your job as a musician. But I think probably all of us, our job as human beings there is a unique us shaped space in the universe that nobody else can fill because nobody else is us. Mm -hmm. And our job is to find that space and as fully occupy it as we can without treading on anybody else's space together. And if you can do that as a human, but also as a musician, like you take your range of influences and you add whatever comes from you, nobody else is ever going to be that. And that's sort of our job is to keep looking for that in ourselves as humans and musicians and friends and parents and whatever else we do. But to be as much us as we possibly can without standing on anybody else.
1: Absolutely. And though I do not have children, I have heard from many people like yourself who have that that experience can be sort of foundational in, in all of these things that we're talking about. And I think a lot of that is because all of a sudden life, which until that moment was just really 90 plus percent about, You And then, you know, maybe, you know, you have your family and, but like, think about what a day, a day in the life of a human, you're thinking about yourself, you're, you're managing your own thoughts and goal. It's like really primarily about you. And then when you have a child, that's a a sort of foundational shift to that end, you know, and you can't, you can't simulate that experience the other, any other way, really. And, and, And you hear the same thing. Um, I was actually just talking with a close friend this past weekend about something that I've been really fascinated by. And that's sometimes when you hear interviews with people who have like, for example, just gotten like a terminal cancer diagnosis or some, some thing has happened that all of a sudden their mortality is not a given anymore. And, and, and the end of life maybe even is potentially coming very soon. Like, could you imagine? what that would do for your perspective on so many things in your life. The answer is no, you can't imagine. And it's the same, you know, and there there are there are many different shades of this experience. You know, I think that there's actually some overlap with like all this talk about people using psychedelics in recent years and the and the great Michael Pollan book, How to Change Your Mind, and 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 you know, there's lots of other um there's lots of other books that, you know, he sort of approaches the topic from a beginning standpoint. Um, There's another one called Sacred Knowledge that I just love that's like written by someone who is an expert in these things and has devoted their life to journeying in those realms. And when people are realizing that when when you take, for example, you know, in a very intentional way, something that like turns a key in your brain, you know, and I've definitely done some of this myself and it's been incredibly beneficial as one more piece to the whole experience. And it's like meditation, which do you meditate at all on any sort of regular basis? Just curious.
0: No, I've I've sort of tried and I'd find that it's a bit like the morning routine. Like I, I, if I start my day mindfully in some form and with some form of intent, whether it's some exercise or playing some music or reading or doing some. You know, but I, I, I find it very hard to establish that as a daily thing, but I try and, and find and I, moments through the day, like you were saying earlier, really.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do. You know why? Because meditating is really hard <laughs> and getting to, I think what we think meditation is supposed to be is really hard. And if you sit down for 10 minutes and you have your mantra and you focus on your breath, you know we we all know sort of meditation 101 and the thoughts come in and you're just sort of supposed to sort of observe but like that real moment of clarity like if you get a split second of that it's very palpable and like awesome now i'm like you and i've tried to sort of transition that practice into something that's more of an everyday thing something that i can do at any moment i can do it for a couple seconds i can do it for a couple minutes and it's just like i i think that's my way of of um you know it's not this like important thing that you have to set aside time for it's just a little a little reboot throughout the day to try and get you sort of back to center right well a lot of you know the i think the best way that i could describe you know some of what people are getting out of these experiences whether it's LSD or psilocybin MDMA there's there's different you know things you know for different folks who are looking for different experiences but it's kind of just like a really long meditation. Like you have just turned the key to step into that space for a potentially prolonged period of time where that sense of ego, that sense of self drops away. And wow, like there's a lot of value in that. If we can, and it's not for everyone and it doesn't work perfectly every time. And I think it takes some experience to get up to speed with it, but there's, you know, a body of knowledge now so big and so irrefutable that you can't deny that these things, they, they open a door to places in our brain and our soul that we don't normally have access to, but we are these incredible, you know, we, we are each capable of basically like boundless consciousness presence, the feeling of connection to everything else and everyone else that's in our world. At any moment, any second of the day, we can, this is there. It doesn't go away. And then it's back at the time when you want to meditate. No, it's always there. It's just a question of how strongly have we built the pathway to get in there and experience it. And it's the same as phase two of practicing music, a meditation. It's building that zone, that pathway. It's trying to push that door a little bit more open every time and repetitions practice, you know, and, and there's just a lot of great knowledge and understanding in all of those things, meditation too. And I mean, for someone that could be like their daily run, like I was saying when I Mm -hmm. go running or when I'm on a long drive, those are prime times for me to just sort of like center myself and kind of see what's there. See, see if I can look a little further into that space if I can find that content zone and then, and then see what comes up or just experience it, just be there and then watch how that experience informs the rest of your life. Because you know what? You need to go to the store. You need to answer your emails. You need to like, the point of a spiritual practice is not to like all of a sudden go sit in the woods and not do anything like life is still life. And, and it's, I love some of those more functional approaches to it where it's like, I'm going to see how much I can be in that zone, how much I can really let that, you know, that's where I'm like really feel like me and centered and less of the ego and the judgment. And then see how that experience can bleed out into and help me with kind of the rest of my life. You know what I mean? Because it's not all going to suddenly be this like sheen of enlightenment and everything. You know, I love listening to like when you hear like Eckhart Tolle talk about, he'll, he'll be at a talk and someone will ask him like, oh, like what did you do this morning? You know, and he'll be like, went, got a cup of coffee, sat there, like nothing. Like if you can find the the immense beauty in those moments, the, the absolute beauty, boundless connection that we can feel to everything else. If you can just get like the most fleeting glimpse of that, to me, those are some of the most rich, you know, experiences that we can have in life. And they they only come through awareness and practice.
0: They used the word talking about all that use the word connection. And I think that's the that's one of the hardest things is in a busy life in the modern world. And also, you know, this whole conversation to be had about how we've been conditioned over the past half a century. But we, we have this weird sense that the individual is a thing to be prized. And that we're all, like, we're all self-made, unique, independent individual. And actually connection with other people is one of the, for me, it's become one of the most important things. And when I get stressed and when I find life tricky, the thing I shut off, shut off is connection with other people sometimes. And I'm learning to not do that and lean into it at those times. It's a bit like going back to talking about tension earlier and, you know, learning to let go of it. And it's that thing of, it is all connected. I had a conversation with my nine-year-old son the other day and said, you know, part of your left knee maybe was once Beethoven or maybe it was once a dinosaur, like all the bits (laughs) of the world that exist. They're all floating around and a bit of you one day will be a bit of a bridge or a bit of a teacup or like, it's all just like, we're all connected to all of it. One day you might be a lamppost. And it's, it it is. I think that's, I
1: think that's very true. Yeah, I think that's very true. And I think, I think really, you know, this is where the term empathy comes in. And we hear this term thrown around a lot and we hear it, we hear it thrown around as like, for example, like a goal, like, you, you know, if you can get to where you're feeling, you know, more empathy, well... And, and, of course, the inverse is true. And, you know, I've definitely – oh, man, I've experienced some people in my life who, um, you know, and, and it, everyone's different and we all walk our own path. But a lot of times, realistically, people who you experience who are, like, harder to deal with and not as content and, and are not as balanced in their life and are are probably not charging as hard at, at some external goal that maybe, like, makes other people happy whatever – they're consumed with themselves. And that's for a lot of people, that's like their lot in life and you see it. And oh boy, I just try to, you know, in those moments, just be grateful for the way that I'm wired because I think that a lot of this is maybe more nature than nurture. And it's the ability to feel just like solid in yourself. And what you said about about raising your son, you know, I, I love that and I really admire that. Like, if you really can set someone else up for success, if you can just give them the confidence to realize that like they're okay and, and, and they're, they're doing things in life that they think are important and they shouldn't question themselves because it's that endless loop of questioning yourself that takes away the empathy. It takes away your connection with other people. Again, this, this thing I mentioned earlier, you just, Sometimes, if you want to feel better, a great thing to do is to stop thinking about yourself. Just put that attention on someone else. It sounds so simple, but it's very, very hard for certain people, and for other people, it's easier, you know. And 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 if you have some predisposition to be able to do that, again, it, it's something that's probably worth practicing and getting more reps in on because it's a muscle that that can be built and. You think about how slow the growth is from like repetitions, you know, like the gym is a great analogy. You don't you don't go back to the gym the next day. You look exactly the same as you did the day before. And you go back the next day and you look exactly as the same as you did before. But you look at a three-month before and after, and there's a major change. And that is like the best lesson in perspective that we could possibly get. You may not feel like these things are making a big difference all in one shot or in one day or in one practice session, but it's being mindful, it's being aware of things. And, and, and the empathy is just, you know, I mean, it's there's proven time and time again, that the more connected we can feel to everything else, the happier we are, you know, and, and, you know, we could really, the world is a crazy place right now. And, you know, I know that's certainly one thing I end up feeling a lot about, you know, over here in the States is like, Man, if people could really just get uh, a lesson in empathy and really start caring about what others think, well, you know what? We'd have to make a small sacrifice for ourselves. But what we'd get back, we wouldn't even know that kind of abundance. But that's just not what we are trained to do. It's what you, you know, you, it's come up a few times, all this sort of societal program. Everything tells us that we need to strive for this individual achievement. And here in the United States, wow, the, the sense of individualism and entitlement i think is a big part of gotten has that you know a big part of what's gotten us to this weird place that we're at where it's like everyone is just sort of at war with each other it's like really i don't think that's going to do us any good but conditioning is a very powerful thing and all of what we're talking about today is trying to be intentional about our own course of conditioning of learning of understanding ourselves of growing in a lot of t- in a lot of instances out of the things that we've been taught and conditioned since we were youngsters now that doesn't mean that everything that you learn is is like something that you you have to undo in fact i think if you were lucky to be raised by caring conscientious parents well that that again is the thing that kind of sets you up for success but a lot of what society shows us and dictates we really got to be careful about that and be as conscientious, as conscious as we can be of how we're taking things on and how we're treating other people. And it's a perspective thing. It might not be right on the surface obvious in all these situations, but the more focused that we can, you know, the more of a focused environment that we create. hey, this is what I want to be, you know, once we sort of become conscientious adults, well, then away you go with your practice and you sort of see where it takes you. And I think that's
0: sort of circling back to where we started, really, but just I think that's one of the reasons that I love your podcast is that it it, it gets into some of that stuff and it, it's not afraid to stretch the lines between what makes you a good banjo player and what makes you a good human being. It's about, it's like all of it really is just about in, intent, deciding where you want to go and then practicing. And, you know, whether yeah. you want to be, wherever you want to be decide where you want to go and then get there a little bit every day.
1: Absolutely. And and also just giving fans a glimpse at the reality that, hey, you know what, your favorite artists, they do the same crap that you do. They <laughs> face the same challenges that you do. And I know as a fan, that's really deepened my relationship with the artists that I love is learning more about them and hearing them speak passionately about the things that are challenging for them. So, you know, my goal is... To pull back the curtain a little bit and let, you know, and not only, of course, we learn all this amazing stuff from, from from people who've had all these rich life experiences and how to overcome adversity and all these amazing things. But in addition to that, giving fans the opportunity to see and hear from their favorite artists about what they've been through, I just think that's such an awesome, I mean, I, I've listened, you know, I've gone back after podcast interviews that I've done and i've heard their music in a whole different way seriously mm-hmm. like i've just i listen to it and it just it moves me more i care about it more i listen more deeply and then surprise surprise there i am entering that zone where i'm like really paying attention to something that's not myself and we've all been there listening to music and the judgment meter is running and i'm like listening to a banjo player and i'm just like oh they're better They're better than me. You know, life is over and it happens. Like it really, we think stuff like that. It's crazy. But if you can just listen and say, Oh, that is beautiful. And what are they trying to say there and listen to that expression? And I'm just for a split second. I'm just in someone else's world. Like that is the coolest thing ever. That, that, that is when the music has come to life. That's when you're experiencing some real deep empathy and all of that just kind of spits you out the other side and for me in a place where I'm better suited, more balanced, and just in a better place to kind of take on everything that life throws at me. And I
0: love uh, the the story you told before about, about Chris Eldridge sort of stopping a song halfway through. And because sometimes it's not, it's not the big deep conversations that, that show you this stuff. It's the little bits and pieces of life that are just, and you know, you sort of said being part of, Chris Thiele's gang, you have to be at tight. And I saw Punch Brothers years ago um, and they started a song, quite a intense song, and stopped about Thiele stopped them about a minute in. And I, the whole room went quiet. I'm mean, what's he doing? What's he doing? And he went, sorry, got my tongue stuck in my braces and I was about to start singing. And like uh-huh. that time, and this is, you know, like we have this, this thing about Chris Thiele being sort of the loftiest of the loftiest. And he's like, he's just a guy who was working incredibly hard, but can still get his tongue stuck in his braces. And he laughed about it. Like he wasn't embarrassed. He was like, I'm a tongue swim. Let's start
1: that one again. And yeah. sometimes it's the tiny stuff. I remember, I'll never forget as long as I live. I was on stage as like before the string dusters, I was at the gray Fox bluegrass festival and I was playing with a band called the new England bluegrass band. And I was on stage and we played a show and after the show, I was walking around and I bumped into one of my heroes, Danny Barnes, and I'd never met Danny Barnes before. And I'd never met any, I mean, I was not a part of the scene, anything like I am now. And I was just, you know, lived in new England and was playing with this local band. And I ran into Danny Barnes and he stopped me and he said, Hey, you know, you guys sounded great. And he said, you know what I loved? He said, I saw you make a mistake and stop playing. And I, and I saw you laugh about it. And he said, That is real music to me. And, you know, I don't know if I understood or internalized what he meant, like, for years after that. But I think about that sometimes. And I think, wow, if if I could, you know, whatever, some hypothetical situation, like, if I could pay for that energy that I felt on stage where I just made a mistake and laughed about it, like, oh, my goodness, what? value there is in that, you know, and, and that's, that's confidence. That's being comfortable with yourself. That's realizing that there is like nothing really on the line. And, and, and it demonstrates that that can be very abundant early on when we take something on. Cause I've probably been playing banjo for like five years or something. And then it can be something that becomes more elusive and that we have to cultivate as we go along. Again, just like mindfulness, being aware of things, observing things, practicing, getting repetitions in them. Um, but it's, it it happens to all of us and the ability to be confident enough and curious enough and realize that things are not that important to just laugh about it. Like, It 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 seems, you know, at the time I don't think I thought anything of that. I didn't that wasn't wasn't a small success or wasn't anything. It was just like that that part of being free and present with music just came comes so naturally when you're sort of in that in that headspace. But you you know, you work your whole life and you craft something that you really care about and that you're confident in and you're on stage with Punch Brothers and your tongue gets stuck in your braces. You know what? You can you can you can stop the song and, and that's cool. I mean, just knowing that there's just not so much on the line and, you know, to go back to like another sort of sports analogy, they say, well, you know, to be good at something again, like golf, I think presents a lot of interesting analogies because it's such a solitary endeavor with such fine motor skills, like a micron in the wrong direction. And your golf ball flies off into the weeds and, You know, you lose the tournament or whatever, but it's like that pressure, managing that pressure, and you hear them sometimes say, well, how do you, how do you be good at something? How do you, you have to not care about it, you know? Well, how do you not care about something that you've put all this time and energy into? It's like, that's one of the elusive ones. That's one of the ones where if you can log time in that zone where the ego dissolves and realize this is all just everyone's just out there trying to do their best in life you know even chris thiele when the show is done you know he goes back to a quiet place and it's just him and his thoughts you know and and life is an experience much bigger than how someone perceives how you did it something in fact it doesn't really matter and it's not going to do you any good so you know it's like this lifelong journey of sort of taking the pressure off of that. And how do you arrive at that place? And it's, it's easy one day, it's impossible the next, but it's fascinating all the way along. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's one of my favorite things about being a professional musician is just the ability to really spend my life working on this incredible puzzle of music and, and technique and influences and the mental game and performing. And it's like, it's, it's a real pain in the ass someday, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I think that's
0: a, that's a beautiful place to sort of leave it. That's, um, that sums up so many of the things we've talked about over the past. What must be almost an hour and a half now. Um, and I've got so many more questions about your bluegrass manifesto and we may have to do another one at some point to get to that.
1: But I'm I'm game anytime, man. (laughs) I've really, really enjoyed this. It's been a real treat. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you.